You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where it's a sunny 70 degrees out because it's in the middle of the week, and I had meetings today and all that stuff. When it gets to be the weekend again, it's probably going to rain like it did last weekend and the weekend before. How long's your grass? Uh, as I'm hearing one of my neighbors mowing out the window here. So we've got all sorts of things to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show today. And, you know, I, I specifically want to talk about folks that are living in F2, which is impacted forest land zoning. Uh, and then there's some other things, some homeless stuff going on. Um, you know, we, we're starting to try and, you know, let people understand our proposal for a 42-bed stabilization center for, you know, mentally ill folks. Um, and, you know, budgets are coming up and, you know, final versions of budgets. And, you know, gasoline hit a record price every day of the last week. So, you know, there's just all sorts of stuff to talk about. You know, masking seems to be back in some places, quote, voluntarily. Uh, not so voluntarily if you work in certain industries. Um, so, you know, lots to talk about, but I, you know, I always say I'd rather talk about what my audience wants to talk about. You know, I do this show once a week. So folks have an opportunity to talk to a local elected official about what's on their mind. Um, also to ask questions, understand government and, you know, maybe get some insights from that side or just, you know, to vent if they want to vent, you know, I might be able to help them with a problem, but just have to give us a call, 646-721-9887. And all you have to do is press 1, and that raises your little hand on our board, because we have people that call in to listen to the show. Uh, you know, if they're away from their computers or whatever, sometimes it's a little easier to listen on a cell phone. So, again, 646-721-9887, and if you want to talk, on the show, you know, ask a question, um, got some topic you want to talk about, just press one and that raises your hand on our board. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But seeing there isn't anyone dialed in right now, we're going to go to that F2 zoning issue because this is important. I've talked about it before. It seems like the progressive majority on our board does not want to deal with this problem. And it, this is a little esoteric land use stuff, but let me put it this way. In Lane County, there are a 
couple million acres of land. You know, it's just, it's a big county. Uh, I, you know, let me let me just because you know it's over four thousand square miles, and the total acreage is two point nine and change million acres in the whole county. Of the total county, about 2.6 of it has been zoned forest land, which means it's, it's zoned as a resource land specifically to try and preserve forest. So 2.6 out of 2.9, 89% of Lane County is zoned forest. There's a small portion of that forest land, and they divide that up by F1, which is prime forest land, you know, which basically the permitted uses all have to revolve around harvesting trees, basically, unless you're using it for ag purposes, which that's permitted use. But to get a house on that F1 zoning is extremely difficult. It's not a use by right at all. In fact, it's highly discouraged, um, and so that land is really just set aside to be forest. There's a small portion of that, about less than 6% of that 89% that's zone F2, which is impacted forest land. So F2 is land that they you know, believe that there's enough development around that that commercial timber harvest may be difficult. So it's already recognized that this is lands that are impacted by other development, say bordering residential lands or, you know, small parcels that, that already have maybe a house on them. And, you know, th- those sort of, you know, issues where, you know, just, there, there's some conflict with that use as tim, as productive timberland. So that's six per, less than six percent of that 89 percent of Lane County. So recently, there's been some court decision, not court decisions, I should say, land use board of appeals decisions that have determined that if you're F1, F2, sorry, if your impacted forest land property is in either major or peripheral big game habitat, you cannot develop a house on your property if it's under a certain amount of acreage. If it's major big game habitat, it has to be at least 80 acres. If it's peripheral big game habitat, it has to be at least 40 acres. So no matter what, if you have a parcel in F2 that's less than 40 acres and you haven't built a house on it yet, these decisions basically say your property is undevelopable. Now, that's based on a sentence in a working paper referenced in the Lane County Rural Comprehensive Plan under our goal five, which is our resource protections, which by the way, aggregate mining is one of those goal five resources, but um, big game is considered a goal five resource. 
And under that flora and fauna policy 11 that protects big game, it says, you know, that we are going to, by region, try and keep densities below ODF and W's recommendations, which aren't in our rural comprehensive plan, but are actually in a working paper, which holds no force of law, not recognized as your plan. But in that working paper, ODF and W recommends uh, residential densities in big in, in major big game habitat of 80 acres per dwelling unit and 40 acres per dwelling unit for peripheral big game habitat. Now, mind you, our rural comprehensive plan says that's going to be done by region, not by lot. And we never established the regions in the you know, since we got our plan, you know, recognized by the uh, land uh, development uh, folks at the state, DLCD, uh, um, and their recognition was way back in 1985. We actually adopted it in in uh, Lane County in 1984. Um, the working papers date in the 82 and 83, so you can see how old some of this stuff is. And over that time, because we never really defined what a region was, our planning department's basically taken it as, you know, there were two things we did to protect big game. Not only did we have this reference to, you know, being careful about densities, we also said we were going to cluster development on parcels. You know, where, you know, if you had a house, you're going to have your your barn or your garage or whatever accessory structures are going to be clustered together. You're not going to spread out and develop, you know, the whole parcel. And that, you know, provides, you know, more habitat that way. So the clustering was considered, you know, part of that. And we've been providing the ability, if you can show that your your land, you know, can't be used for for timber and there's a bunch of other tests it's not it's not an automatic that you can put a house on f2 land but we have been granting new building permits for buildings in less than 40 acre parcels ever since then it wasn't until this recent decision because land watch lane county appealed a application by the nimkish family and that's why the decision gets referred to as NIMKISH. Um, and Luba upheld it, that they, that reference to the 40 and the 80 acres, because we hadn't ever resolved it, is what they were going to, to pick. Thing is, Luba and DLCDC, um, they will actually if there's something that's ambiguous in a adopted plan, if the local governing body, if it's for city, the city council, or if it's for county, the county commission, adopts an interpretation of the ambiguous language, they will give deference to that interpretation. So knowing that the LUBA made these decisions without the county providing any interpretation so they didn't have something to give deference to um 
means it may uh, there's the ability for us to go back and say you know what we're going to make an interpretation of that section of policy 11 and we're going to state that it's really by region wasn't intended to be by parcel um, and that's our interpretation of of it and you know have some backup information as to why we think that that stands and in the future somebody we could give a permit for less than 40 acres you know of course land watch will probably appeal it but at that time we've had an interpretation that they can that luba should hold deference to provided it doesn't violate any laws now mind you seeing we have 89 percent of our county is zone forest land which makes it you know good habitat and only six percent of that's f2 i think we win that argument at luba that this you know granting somebody a building permit on a 20 acre parcel where we're going to require them to cluster their development is not going to have a significant impact on deer and elk population because that's what they're referring to when they refer to big game habitat is deer and elk and you know i don't know about you but you know if you live in the south hills the deer don't give a darn about less than you know one dwelling unit per 40 acres or something like that they're like long-legged gophers up there people can't grow plants that aren't deer proof or not have an eight foot fence around their gardens because of how many deer there are and if anyone's ever been to cannon beach and seen the elk herd drift through town to get to the ocean they don't seem to be terribly bothered either but you know what this gets down to though is all these people that bought property thinking they're going to be able to put a house on it that is less than 40 or 80 acres depending on where they are in big game habitat and most of our forest zone land is considered either peripheral or major big game habitat suddenly their dreams are, are being shattered by this decision so i thought it was pretty important the board look at this and it and our progressive majority is basically like well that you know it's not a big deal you know although they constantly talk about our housing crisis in this county and the shortage of housing and they're kind of blowing this issue off saying well it really won't make that big of a difference it's going to take a lot of staff work it really won't i mean i could probably write the interpretation language for the board in about five minutes it might take me a, you know, a day to do enough research to write findings to back it up so it's not not a big deal um and we can do it pretty quickly hold a couple public hearings about it because we have to do it as a public process because it is considered a land use decision and adopt a board order of that interpretation you know and that would help all these people so that gets to a whole nother issue, which is this issue of, which I've talked about before on the Bose Nose Show, is if somebody's house burns down in the F2 zone, and the language that's in state law and reflected in our code talks about um, you have the right to replace a dwelling in a forest zone that, that, that burns down, um, or well to replace a dwelling but it has to be a habitable dwelling 
to get a, a, a replacement permit. The language in there says it has it that their definition of a habitable dwelling is has walls, has a roof, has a kitchen sink, has this, has that. It, when your house burns down, it no longer has that stuff. It had it, but at the time you're asking to, to get the building permit for it, it doesn't. And we have never really looked at it that way, ever. We've always just assumed it, it was habitable before your fire, you have a right to rebuild it. Well, staff, and I think with the, you know, whispering in the ear by Landwatch has decided that, yeah, you know, we have to be careful because somebody might actually challenge us on this and, and say, you know what? It's burnt down. It no longer has those things. Therefore, you have to apply for a new building permit. And, you know, there's they're backpedaling on that now, but they specifically told several people that that was going to be the case if their house burned down or if they had a house burned down, which one person has had a house burned down on some forest land um, outside of the Holiday Farm Fire. The Holiday Farm Fire folks are covered by a specific law the legislature passed that says no matter what zoning you have, you have a right to rebuild. They're exempt from this discussion. If you lost your house in the holiday farm fire, you have a right to rebuild no matter what, no matter how many acres you are. But what happens when you go back to being a new permit, if they don't recognize your right to rebuild, is the NINCIF decision comes in. And suddenly, if your house burnt down and was on a less than 40-acre parcel, you're never going to be able to rebuild. You know, that's the crux of the part of why this is, to me, just a matter of fairness. People bought land based on how we were issuing permits for years. People bought land thinking that if they built a house, they'd be able to replace it. And insurance companies are insuring them now based on the fact they should be replaceable. So... This is a big issue to me, but our, you know, I would challenge anybody to watch our board meeting from yesterday afternoon when we were discussing this and listen to some of what Joe Bernie, Heather Buck, and Lori Trigger had to say. They don't seem to be in the least bit interested in resolving this NIMKISH issue on big game habitat. Why? because I think the land watch Lane County folks that are anti-development are whispering in their ears. So I need you folks that live in F2 zone land or purchased or own F2 zone land and thought you were going to be building on it. You guys need to be calling those three commissioners. You know, particularly some of you that bought maybe, say, a 39-acre parcel or a 35 or 20 or even a 10-acre parcel of F2 land and thought you were going to be able to build a home on it in the future. And your dream is being shattered by this Nimkish decision, something that the board could possibly resolve. Now, I'm not guaranteeing our interpretation will, make, will take the Nimkish decision away but it is 
something that may resolve that issue. Short of us, you know, going through the process of amending our rural comprehensive plan, which would take five to 10 years possibly between, you know, appeals and just trying to work through the process of doing so and a lot of money, just a board interpretation. And it's built right into our code that allows us to do that kind of interpretation because it's built into state law that elected bodies can provide interpretations of ambiguous language and that they will defer to the local elected bodies' interpretations or give deference to them as long as the interpretation does not violate state law. <coughs> so the question is, is why isn't Heather Buck and Joe Bernie and Lori Trigger, who are all complaining about the housing crisis, interested in resolving this issue that's blocking people from building new housing? If you have F2 property or you're just concerned about this, you need to email them. You need to call their office because unless they have some sense of urgency, all I got them to do yesterday was refer this to the planning commission to come to have them look at it some date in the future and, and report back to the board on what they think about it. Mind you, the planning commission really actually has no role in this. This is a board issue. It's actually spelt out very specifically in our code under, you know, Lane Code 16, Chapter 16, Section .008. It says if there's ambiguous language, you know, or a use that's not covered presented, the planning director shall request an interpretation by the board, not may not if they think it's a good idea or whatever, shall. And this is definitively a case where the language is ambiguous. A little bit of a call to arms here, because I think if we don't put some pressure on Joe, Heather, and Lori, you know, they're, they're just hoping it goes away. Because you know, they really don't want anything built that isn't a high-rise in downtown Eugene. Not everyone wants to live in a high-rise. In fact, some people actually might, you know, be, you know, in the timber industry and living out in F2 land close to where they work out in the woods is beneficial to them and a shorter commute in a lot of ways particularly if it's a commute with a large diesel truck. So which gets me to gas prices? We'll get to that. But I just want to make people aware, I know it's kind of a long roundabout explanation, but there is an issue right now in this small portion of impacted forest land and the ability to build homes that the Board of Commissioners could resolve with an interpretation and the progressives are trying to sweep it under the rug and let it go away. If you want more information about the exact details and want to get some, you know, talking points or, you know, understand, you can email me and I'll try and educate you. Um, 
you know, but, you know, most people have been paying a little bit of attention to this issue that have F2 land because I think there's been some uh, alerts that have gone out by the Oregon Property Owners Association concerning this. Um, it's an issue. And it's an issue possibly for folks that lose their homes due to fire. Now, that issue could be resolved if the legislature fixes the language about has walls, et cetera, and says has something about it, with the exception of a home lost to fire or something like that. Um, but the legislature doesn't meet till 2023. And they may not pass, you know, legislation that will fix it. Or they may pass something that partially it really doesn't go the whole way. So until then, there's this chance that you won't be able to rebuild after a fire, in which case the Nimkis decision will come into play. And it's exactly what one of our planning staff told somebody when they were asked about it. You know, that, you know, basically explaining that F2 property has this issue about replacing um, things that burned down because of the way the the language is written, so that therefore you'd have to apply as a new home, and the NIMCIS decision would would come into play, put you in that 80 acres minimum lot size in major big game habitat and 40 acres in peripheral big game habitat. Needs to be fixed. People need to contact those commissioners, because Commissioner Farr, or Chair, Chair Farr this year, is with me on this. For me, it's a matter of fairness and a matter of more front doors in Lane County. By the way, our medium housing price right now has gone up to uh, 400 and some thousand dollars uh, per house. I wrote it down somewhere, but maybe I'm not finding it right away. Uh, basically, you need to, to earn about 76 thousand dollars a year to qualify for an 80 percent mortgage on that medium home medium family income is less than that in lane county so the median price home is out of reach to the median family yet we're not willing to make an interpretation to help people build homes So just I'll take a breath here and before I change subjects and remind folks, uh, call in 646-721-9887 if you want to comment on this topic or have a new topic you want to bring up. Don't forget to press 1 because that raises your little hand on our board because we do have people listen, you know, that call in to listen. In fact, we've got two listening right now. Um, Again, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press run one, and that raises your, your hand for us. Um, and Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, will, you know, get you on the on the board, you know, and I'll, I'll bring you on the show, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about instead of what Jay wants to talk about, which the next thing I want to talk about a little bit is the homeless stuff. So, we had uh, a report yesterday um, about uh, our our homeless, um, you know, progress in our, our our homeless 
programs. It, you know, it was basically an update. Um, and today we had um, a report from a couple uh, U of O groups of graduates in their um, uh, government uh, master's program, uh, with, which they call 3PM. Uh, I think it's policy programming and policy planning and program management or program, I can't remember what they all stand for, the three PMs, but uh, basically these are guys, you know, that are top of the class. They take on some, we're, we have a partnership with the U of O where they, they use kind of Lane County as a lab and do some studies. And they, they this particular, this year they had two reports they did both dealing with our homeless data systems. One is our risk assessment tool that we use in trying to decide how vulnerable somebody is and whether they get listed, you know, as a high priority person for housing placement or they just kind of end up down the list, um, which is an important thing because we have so few places to place people. If you're not high on the list, you rarely get placed you know, quickly. Um, and then uh, the other software they looked at is our data tracking software for the overall homeless system. Um, so one's our, our risk management tool that our coordinated entry uses um, to enter people into the system and rank them for, you know, rapid housing services. And the other one is our overall data tool. Um, so we spent probably almost four hours of the board meeting between yesterday and today talking homelessness. And in the course of that, you know, uh, yesterday's presentation, we saw some numbers, some of them were, are a little alarming, where some, some, um, some of our populations uh, of homeless people are actually increasing and 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 pretty sharply, uh, and then, we're, but we're also seeing some better utilization of, of of shelter as far as percent beds being utilized, and um, so there was some good news, bad news mixed into that. But just uh, there's a couple of things stuck out to me, and one is they also mentioned how much we're spending and how, where it was being spent. But if you add up the total amount of money that's in Lane County's budget for fiscal year 22-23, that's starting July 1st and through next June 30th of next year, we are planning to spend $27,913,937 on homeless services. nearly $28 million over the next 12 months. That's just Lane County. So just, you know, it, it's a significant piece of our service provision here in Lane County. So that, that's a lot of money. So, you, um, you know, hope we start seeing you know, and getting better reports, you know, one of the things the, the U of O grad students looking at our, our risk tool and stuff is um, they wanted to see more data reporting out to the public 
for transparency. So the public understands how many people are actually getting placed into housing, you know, and, and our outcomes. And we're, we're basically kind of holding steady with a, a small amount of growth, about 4% growth in our, our homeless population, uh, which is a lot lower growth weight than some of the, some prior years. And that's based on how many people drop off of our homeless information system, which is, we refer to as HMIS, um, and how many people are new each month. And roughly about 23% are new people every month, and about 19% drop off. So there's this 4% increase, seems like, every month. Um, so not as bad as some previous years, but it's still increasing. And, you know, we, you know, a lot of it's about front end stuff. There's a lot of things we could be doing up front to try and, you know, stop people from being homelessness. One of them would be build more homes. Hmm, we're back to the F2 conversation again, aren't we? Because, you know, Commissioner Trigger, Commissioner Buck, and Commissioner Bernie all had comments and questions and were super concerned about this homeless stuff and, you know, how we can do a better job and everything else. Yet they seem to have no concern about these, these the property rights and the ability to build new homes for folks that own F2 land that's less than 40 acres or 80 acres if they're in big game, a major big game habitat. Disconnect, maybe. Any house is a good house. I mean, Commissioner Buck tried to blow it off as well. You know, a lot of these houses being built out on these forest parcels, they're really pretty high end and they're not really affordable housing. Well, when people can't build on the high end or can't find houses like that, they tend to buy down. Buy something that's not quite as big or as nice as they wanted and then you know, dump money into making the house bigger or something like that. But that then bumps that people that were looking in that price range down and down and down, which is why a piece of tracked housing in Eugene is now going for a half million dollars. You're not, if you didn't have a prior home that you were selling in California or something like that, you're not in the local real estate market here or a home that you're selling from this market, maybe moving up a little bit. It's just, we need to be building more of every type of housing. Every front door adds to the supply and, and can bring the price down. But we're, we, we underbuilt in Oregon and in Lane County so much over the last 20 years it's going to take a while to catch up, but we shouldn't be suppressing any style of housing being built. We should be open to all sorts of housing and trying to get as much of it built as possible. But that was kind of the, the interesting, you know, couple interesting things is, you know, we're still seeing a little, that, that homeless numbers creep up. 
and we're going to be spending $28 million on direct homeless service programs. That doesn't include, you know, what our uh, coordinated care, you know, and all that stuff being spent by the state with Medicaid dollars, you know, um, through the Oregon Health Plan to people that are also homeless. It doesn't include, you know, food programs. This is purely our housing and service, our, our case management services to the homeless, direct services to the homeless. They access other services too. $28 million. But you know, Commissioner Bernie also made a comment yesterday in the morning that he wanted to think about whether or not we should be banning people from buying homes to turn them into rentals as investment properties. And I thought, are you serious? You know how hard it is to find a home to rent in this county with a one point five you know vacancy rate right now which is basically the people that have moved out and they're having to you know paint or whatever between tenants you know that's the turnover is basically full you cannot find a rental property in lane county it's extremely difficult a house apartment whatever and there are people that want to rent a house when I first moved to Lane County, I rented a house because I had dogs and I needed a yard to be able to, you know, to deal with the dogs. So it was even harder to find a property not only that would rent to me, but rent to somebody that has pets. So I was happy that person bought a house as a rental investment. In fact, government's part of the reason why we're in this housing crisis. Every time we step in and try and do something to manage the market, we make it worse. Restrictive zoning laws, urban growth boundaries, all this land use stuff in Oregon has led to super high price restricted markets. Then we went to to doing rent control in this state. And shortly after that, the investment in rent multifamily properties in the city of Portland fell by 50% the building permit applications. You start messing around with the market, the investors stop investing. And investors build a lot of housing. If anything, we should be looking at where the government can pull up some of these regulations, pull back on them. That's basically what the middle housing stuff is, is done. And we have, by the way, we adopted the Springfield's code changes to meet that state law around middle housing. It basically lifted the exclusionary zoning of, of R1 to single family only and allowed you know, things like duplexes to be in single-family zoned properties. Um, 
and you know make some sense. So you know that that's kind of all sort of weaves together this housing issue with our you know zoning code with you know so much and you know because of the cost of housing people are spending so much of their paycheck on housing that we're having to do food programs because people can't afford food or have it you know providing medical programs you know, it, it it it's you know such a big piece of people being financially stable you know and the american dream of owning your own home is just out the window for a lot of young people now. It's just in, incredible. You know, how, how expensive housing has gotten. Wish I had written down that number, what the median family home is now in Lane County. It's, I think it was somewhere in the range of 460,000. Hi, yeah, yeah. So, Robin, you have a comment on that? I also see somebody's called in with their hand up. No, I just had a question for you, Jay, and uh, we'll bring that caller on just a second. Um, you own a home, I own a home. Can you afford to buy your own home? If I had to buy this one from from scratch, it would be very difficult. I, I, I'm, you know, I've looked on you know, Zillow and some other things, and, and looked at how much they think my house is worth, and 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 looked at other houses in the area that is sold, and it's like, oh my god. I, I, if I had to finance, you know, if I only had a twenty percent down, and had to finance the rest, that'd be a huge monthly payment. So. Caller, um, I see you have your hand up and a question. What's on your mind? Well, uh, this is Jason. I used to be on the planning commission for five years, and this whole conversation about homelessness and housing shortage reminds me of the conversation I had before I left the Lane County Planning Commission when we brought up affordable housing. I said, you can't uh, build affordable housing. Your affordable housing is your inventory that's 10 years or older. And they were, and that was also when the city of Eugene was forcing these tiny houses, saying that they would reduce the overall uh, cost of housing and, and whatnot and make everything affordable. I said, I'll, I'll give you the first go round with each of the tiny houses, but once that inventory dries up, it's going to force not only the small housing, houses' price to skyrocket, but also those that have owned their own land. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't help that, um, you know, we've made the planning permitting process so, you know, complicated and expensive. You know, so if you wonder why those houses out in F2 get built that are that are expensive housing, if you have to invest $50,000 in getting your permits, you don't build a $100,000 home. <laughs> 
No, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the housing prices have gotten to the point where no, I can't even buy the house that I'm in now. I bought five years ago. That my the house that I'm in now has gone up over one hundred fifty thousand dollars in five years, if not two hundred thousand. So it's, yeah. Uh, but they want to push that the uh, they want to pu push the building the affordable housing and taking away the rights of the people that uh, that can't afford the houses and do build or buy the property and but they want to restrict and tell us how to how to use our land. Yeah, I just and, wanted and to throw want, that out there. Yeah, they also want to restrict um, if you if you are a landlord how you can deal with your tenants. I mean, they—they've got oh, yeah. very. Oh yeah, and that. Oh, I know. Um, That—that's also led in the homeless crisis. Uh, my sister-in-law just lost her house that she was renting because they had to sell because even though they paid on the rent and whatnot with the housing prices and everything else, they—they um, they can't find a house, an apartment. Uh, assisted living is four years out on a waiting list. So, yeah, it's, wow. it, it's all screwed, but they just want to keep pushing their, their agenda as it is, and it's hurting uh, the everyday Oregonians, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. You know, every time they, they get government involved, either between the landlord and the tenant or, or, you know, property owners and their ability to do what they want with their land, they're causing problems and that make make the problem worse you know so it's yeah it, it's, it's getting pretty bad out there yeah well i i mean because of the governor's mandates uh we have a two-bedroom apartment where i work that we we refuse to rent out because we didn't want to be told you know have the uh people not pay the rent and then we've got to worry about you know uh, how, how to get out of get them out of here? I mean, people usually are looking at retirement plans when they they have investment properties. You know, whether it's a single family dwelling or or duplexes, um, and and they they can't make money if nobody's paying the bill. Yeah, and with you know between the the, the COVID, you know moratoriums on on evictions and just generally they've changed the, the laws about being able to evict people are is so difficult now that as part of that rent control bill uh, they they made it really hard to evict people and so therefore a lot of rentals are being sold in you know to ownership which is why there's it's so difficult to find a rental and that one and a half percent vacancy it's and well, the other thing is, is the, the one of the things going on with worlds right now is a lot of houses are be, being rented out for exorbitant amount of money. So is Bernie going to limit them for doing that? Because that's bringing a lot of money into Lane County and the state. Yeah, I, you know. I, the, the other one I always hear people want to start limiting anyone that can use their house as a bed and breakfast or uh, 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 short-term rentals and all that. It's like there's a need and a desire for some of that that market, but it's not infinite. 
but you know that's no, not the problem. No, that that's not the no. It's the land use laws and the fact that we're letting uh, small uh, extremist groups such as the uh, land watch people run our state. I mean, with all the extremists that are in the uh, in in our governments, whether you're talking local, uh, state, whatever, and we've got land use uh, telling of Oregon telling us how how we got to live. I mean, yeah. Eugene it set a, set a firm, pretty hard boundary on on new residential when they, we did the twenty year planning for Eugene, and that's part of the problem. They they want everybody in tiny houses or high rises. I mean, and the yep. the new ruling uh, uh, that uh, says you don't have to have parking is just ridiculous. Yeah, they're going to create a problem for themselves. They already did it. Um, there's an apartment complex on River Road in the River Road neighborhood that only built uh, one parking space per unit or something, or and um, the tenants, you know, a lot of them are. Two people, you know, renting an apartment together with two cars, so they're parking in the neighborhoods, and there's been actual fist fights and all that that have had to be broken up by the sheriff's department from people parking. You know, the neighborhood around it is uh, an older neighborhood with with no curb and gutter, so people are pulling yeah. over people's lawns or blocking their driveways, you know, around this apartment complex that the city of Eugene approved with one parking space per apartment well considering that i did planning for for uh junction city and lane county i find and, and having to deal with people in parking and all that kind of stuff i found that 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 ruling was absurd from the get-go and i hope they get a change soon but it won't unless we get somebody viable uh on the county uh i, I know the planning commission can only do suggestions but We've got to have a board that's actually for the people and not for, for special interest groups such as uh, land use or land watch. Yeah, between land watch and a thousand friends, um, it's been it's gotten really hard to build housing, and it's all kind of the I've got mine and and I'm here. I don't want to you know let's close the doors and 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 you can't do that. Yeah, you know, not while nope. there's a growing population. You know, not and economically now, you know, employers in this area, it's hard enough to find employees. You know, the the whole great leaving in during COVID. And it's yeah. if you do find an employee, they can't find housing. Oh we yeah, I've got lot. uh my, my my wife's got somebody that's been employed with her uh, for a couple of years down at the, um, for one of the school districts, and he's driving all the way from Albany because he's been waiting for like two years to get a, find a house. It's just, yeah, it's, a couple things need to change, but yeah, this, this has been going on, like you said, for 20 plus years. Yeah, and I like your analogy of needing more doors. If we have more doors, we have less people on the streets. If we have more doors, we have people that can find affordable housing, but the government's not the solution for it. It's the private sector and let them build according to what their needs are and within reason go from there. So. You know, after World War II, 
there was an extreme housing shortage when the veterans came back and, and started marrying, having kids and all that. And there is a massive housing shortage. And that's when suburbs were invented. <laughs> Lebanon, yep. Long, Long Island and, and, and other places sprung up after World War II and it was the private sector's response. They didn't build housing. Government didn't build all the housing that housed the, the GIs and, and housed the baby boom. That was the private sector. Yeah, and, and I also pointed out during that particular meeting that if making, you know, making everybody move into high rises and all that kind of stuff was going to make things affordable, then why is Tokyo and New York the two most expensive places in the world? In New York, you actually have to buy air rights to build higher than a certain uh, uh, height. It just forces, I mean, you got $4,000 a month for an apartment in New York City right now. I mean, that's just, yeah, anyways. I just thought yeah. I'd put my two cents in, and I'll let you get back to your show. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jason. It's always good to have somebody yep. call yeah. in that has a Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. See, Jason. Show it. All you have to do is call in and hit that one button, and we'll get you right on the show. Again, it's 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know we want to get in on the show. Um, so kind of didn't quite get to a couple other topics yet today, but we're almost out of time. Just want to, you know, briefly mention that next Thursday, we are going to be having um, a panel discussion, which is going to include our sheriff and some of our health and human services folks um, and somebody from the National Association of the Mentally Ill. Um, you know, it's to talk about this proposal we have to build a 42-bed stabilization center for folks that are in crisis. Um, right now, we have the ability to provide people a bed for a day. We have a, a, a what we call a 23-hour um, respite area. What happens is, and that doesn't hold very many people, so a lot of these people either end up in the ER, where they it's not set up to treat somebody having them. Yeah, they're, they're they're chaotic, noisy, you know, and all that stuff. They're not meant to be treating somebody that's in crisis. Or they end up at our jail quite often, which is also not the best place for somebody suffering from mental breakdown of some kind. So this facility would kind of be that alternative and, you know, a less expensive alternative to housing in the jail, which is extremely expensive, or, ha or keeping in somebody in the ER for, you know, lengthy periods. Um, you know, so that's what we're trying to fill is that need. And uh, some of the concerns are, you know, this sort of facility, people are there, there voluntarily. And there's some concern about, you know, is it going to be bad for the area? It, it gets, you know, 
sighted in? Uh, you know, are there going to be problems? Um, is it going to be bringing people from other parts of the county into Eugene or Springfield or wherever we build it um, that wouldn't normally be there? Uh, of course, we want to try and build it close to the jail so we can divert people from the jail over there. So it's most likely going to be in Eugene. Mind you, most of these people are coming to the jail anyway and being released from the jail because we usually can't hold them. And they're usually coming to the jail on a misdemeanor charge, you know, disturbing the peace, whatever, you know. That's why they get processed out. So that's coming up next week. Um, and I'm going to try and look real quick and tell you what time. So 11 a.m. So Thursday, June 16th, 11 a.m., there's going to be a panel about that. Um, and it's going to be a, a live Zoom webinar that's open to all community members. Uh, if you go to Lane County's page under our What's New, I believe it's, it's one of the first, it's right up there right now, the announcement, if you're interested in it. Going to look myself right now. I'm opening our web page just to see. Um, but it should be pretty interesting. Yep, it's our first thing. If you open our website, news update right there, click on the read more, and there'll be a link to the um, information about the stabilization center and, and how to sign up um, for the webinar. Uh, you know, particularly. You know, if you're a downtown business owner that's concerned about this, um, or if you're, a, you know, somebody that advocates for uh, the mentally ill and you're concerned about it, it, this is your opportunity to kind of hear about the, the facility and, and get an understanding. Um, so beyond that, I think I covered most of the topics I had on my list today. Oh, I know one other thing I just wanted to mention. Voluntary masking was recommended last week, and I understand that OHA is actually requiring some providers to actually enforce a mask mandate in their businesses again. Uh, and I just want to say it's kind of interesting because the Register Guard had an article that I saw today where cases in Lane County and the state have fallen by about 15% since last week. So I think they're kind of they're behind the, you know, the peak may have been last week and they're all concerned, but we're starting the, the other direction. So I'm hoping that they kind of reverse course uh, fairly quickly because even with the increase in cases we had, we never came anywhere close to our hospitalization rates in previous surges because so many people have got some level of immunity now and so many people have treatments available to them that we didn't have before. So we're just not seeing the hospitalization rates that we've seen previously, even in the last, even in this most recent little uptick of cases. So good news there. I'm going to end with that good news. We'll be back next week for another edition of the Bose Nose Show, coming to you live from downtown Elmira. Have a great week.